Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 69 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. B-Flow Mix, a.k.a. Tank and the Bengals, a.k.a. Discriminatory Practices. And what's good with y'all? We today have to talk about the Brian Flores lawsuit. That is the topic of discussion. It is a 60-page document, and there is a lot to break down. And I took the time to read all 58 pages of this document, and I wanted to give you the highlights and where I see things going from in the future. There will still be two more episodes in this season of the Fly Route Podcast. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you all high and dry. Make sure you, one, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and two, follow us on Twitter at the Fly Route Pod, where I'm going to be giving you all all the breaking news in the NBA and keeping up with the NFL draft and free agency. Now, let's get into it, because today, that's all we're going to talk about is the Brian Flores lawsuit, because this is a watershed moment for the NFL And really, this could change the league as we know it forever. So with no further ado, we are going to start with the tee off. Ooh, 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 spit that tee, sis. And y'all know that's how I generally like to start the show. And Brian Flores is going to get our tee off and our baller's bouquet today. Some background for everybody who's not super familiar about what's going on so far. Brian Flores is a black man, a decorated assistant coach and coordinator with the Patriots, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, where he came off of two back-to-back winning seasons, the first back-to-back winning seasons in that franchise in almost the last 20 years. The last one was in 2003, and then he was fired. Brian Flores is suing the NFL, the Dolphins, and the Broncos, specifically, as part of a clash action lawsuit for discriminatory practices in its hiring process for head coaches, as well as general managers, as well as the wrongful termination from the Dolphins. And I want to separate those two issues because they are, A, huge, but B, have very different implications for the NFL, even though they are in some which way or form intertwined. Now, Let's talk about his lawsuit for discriminatory practices. It has a whole bunch of like explanatory evidence and information about just how you can see the statistics of the NFL are biased. But let's talk about his particular instance where he talks about the New York Giants. The Giants originally saw Brian Flores on 121, January 21st, right? Then after that, they set up an interview, the official interview to satisfy the Rooney rule with him for 126. They have a dinner on 126, January 26th, and then the full interview on 127, January 27th. On January 24th, he finalizes those times for the 26th and the 27th, and then gets a text message from Bill Belichick congratulating him on winning and getting the Giants job. The only problem here was Bill Belichick's 70-year-old self texted the wrong Brian in his phone and ended up not knowing that the job went to Brian Dable, not Brian Flores. Now, this is interesting because how does the job already leak out of the Giants camp that Dable got it? And he has an interview set for three days later and a dinner set for two days later. 
And this is the crux of what he's saying. It's not that Dable's not the best guy for the job, but it is more so the fact that they already gave the job away before he got his interview, effectively making it a sham interview. So he was never actually given a legitimate chance at the opportunity. He was only given the interview to satisfy the Rooney rule. If for those that are not super familiar with the Rooney rule, it requires every team for their head coach or general manager position to interview two external candidates. And ever since the COVID pandemic stuff, they made it to have to include one in-person interview. Brian Forrest was that in-person interview. Now, all the back went out the way. Did no one think it was weird that the NFL having a long-standing problem with diversity in his GM and head coaching and even, you know, way back quarterbacks, they then, hmm, within 30 minutes of the lawsuit coming out, dismissed it as having no merit, no merit within 30 minutes of it coming out. Here is Troy Vincent, the NFL's executive vice president of football operations, speaking on diversity. These men have been fired after winning seasons. How do you explain that? There is a double standard. I don't think that this is something that we should try to shy away from, but that this is all part of something that we need to fix with the system. Jonathan Bean, the NFL senior vice president and chief diversity and inclusion officer, who, by the way, I was part of a really interesting conversation with last year that I'm probably going to touch on in some other videos. Any criticism we get for lack of representation at the GM and head coach position, we deserve. We see that we're not where we want to be and we have to do much better. There is a reason why the Rooney Rule had to exist in the first place, but yet this lawsuit has no merit. Off rip. A lot of people are running with this. A lot of people are saying, look, they can't just give black people jobs. They are trying to say that they are always hiring the best guy for the job. And it just so happens to be that the best guy for the job is rarely ever black. And if you think there are no qualified black head coaching candidates in the NFL, just say that. Just say that. Just say that. Let's look at the numbers. And I want to start by divorcing ourselves from the 70% idea that people are using. Because even though it's very, very important i.e. a league of majority black people are being ran, managed, et cetera, by people that are non-black. I get that. But let's just look at the general coaching staff demographics. We're not talking about higher levels like coordinators and like head coaches, just the general makeup of the NFL coaching staff. 34.5% of the general NFL coaching staff is black. 41% of them identify as BIPOC, so some type of minority and 59% of them is white. So that is already a little bit of a distribution, but I have not any complaints about this initial distribution. Let's just leave it at that. 34% are black, 59% are white. Let's go up one major promotion, just one. Talking about coordinators, offensive, defensive, special team coordinators. There are 96 coordinator positions in the NFL. 23 of them are black coaches. That is 23%, 23%. So we have automatically went from the 34% to a 23%, right? There are 32 offensive coordinators in the league. An offensive coordinator is the most likely position that a head coach 
has before they get that head coaching position. Only four out of the 32 NFL offensive coordinators are black. Quarterback coach, the position right before offensive coordinator, you think? 9%. Let's go up one more step. Head coach. There were three black head coaches in the NFL in 2021. That's 9.4%. Two of them were fired, leaving us at 3% with one black head coach. There are two other people of color coaches that leads us with 27 white coaches. That is 84%. So from an initial population where the white coaches were about 60%, right? The black coaches were around 35%. By the time we get further up, it becomes 3% versus 84%. There is something going on in the promotional processes that are clearly favoring one subset of people since the general population of those people being NFL coaches in general is not that striated. It is that simple. So how do you rectify something that is that large of a statistical anomaly? It is no longer a coincidence when it is that large of a statistical anomaly. That's why if you say they are just picking the most qualified guy for the job, What you are actually trying to say is you think there are no qualified black head coaching candidates in the NFL. Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for one of the best offenses in the league for several years. He's calling his plays. A lot of guys aren't doing that. He's calling his plays. I'm like, let's be honest, skipped over a bunch of times. Offensive coordinator is the most likely position to get you into head coach. Now, look, it gets even worse because you have to think about The fact that even when they get these jobs, it is not the same kind of leash that they get to turn a team around. Not a single one of the 10 coaches that have been hired since 2012 that were black still hold their head coaching job today. In that same time span since 2012, 25% of the white coaches still hold their job. That's 25% to 0%. It is... It is not a small task or a small number that we are really talking about here. And I truthfully believe that Brian Flores is the perfect storm for this issue. Now, Brian Flores is suing for damages, of course, a whole lot of money, whole lot of money. But he is also suing for the NFL to change some institutional practices They can help alleviate some of this discrimination that happens. And I think that's something that gets really looked over in this whole thing. Now, he outlines them step by step in this 58 page document. I want to highlight some of this for you. He first wants to increase the influence of black individuals in the hiring and firing for general managers, head coaches and coordinators. Right. He wants to have a committee that sources just basically other black people that can exist in the decision-making process. He wants to just ensure that if there are black coaches on that staff, if there are black players on that staff, they can participate in the interview process. They can participate in the end of year, end of season reviews. So every voice in the room does not look like the guys that already have those jobs now. I don't think that's too much to ask, right? He also wants to increase the objectivity in the hiring and firing 
of general managers, offensive coordinators, and coaches. And this is really huge for me. He wants to require that NFL teams have to put their rationale in writing for their hiring and firing decisions, including a full explanation of any subjective influences, such as trust, personality, interview performance, etc. All these things that we've heard a lot about. Eric Bieniemy doesn't interview well. Well, maybe because he's getting a bunch of sham interviews. Who knows? Well, now you have to tell us what he did in the interview that he did not do well, right? Brian Flores is hard to work with. We heard that rumor come out of Miami after they fired him after two back-to-back winning seasons. Well, what made him hard to work with? Uh, You ask Brian Flores, it's because he refused to take and tamper with players. Okay. He also wants the NFL to have to do side-by-side comparisons of objective criteria such as past performance, experience, and qualifications. I can't understand why that would be a bad thing. Objective criteria? Put the resumes side by side? I mean, you all are saying the most qualified person should get the job, right? That doesn't seem too much to ask. He also wants to increase the number of black offensive and defensive coordinators. I already talked to you about how that's important because it's the like the next step up from there is becoming a head coach in the NFL. And he wants to do this by creating a fund and a training program for lower level black coaches who demonstrate an aptitude for coaching and an interest to advancing into the coordinator positions. And the last, the last two things here is one, I think is huge. He wants to incentivize the hiring and retention of black general managers and head coaches through monetary compensation, additional salary cap, and or draft capital. And this is important to me because a lot of people this week have been talking about, we need to change the hearts and minds of these people in the decision-making process. The hearts and minds of these owners, the hearts and minds of these president of football operations. And I'm gonna be real honest with you. You have no chance at changing the hearts and minds of these people. But what you can do is maybe make it so you don't have to change their hearts and minds, but there are other reasons to make them want to do the right thing. Other extrinsic reasons from just like, hey, equality is nice. Fair shots are nice. If you're not going to do it just because you're a good person, do it because you can give your team additional salary cap. Do it because you might get some draft picks, etc. And I think that is actually necessary because changing hearts and minds does not really happen. We have hundreds of years of history in America to know that. The last part is complete transparency with the respect to pay of all general managers, head coaches, offensive and defensive coordinators. Pay quality is a big thing in a lot of leagues. And it's just like that. I can't see the downside to something like that. Honestly, I kind of want to see what Dan Quinn just got from Jerry Jones to turn down all those other jobs because I'm pretty sure it is a bag. Now, we have kind of touched on what he wants to do to change those things. But the second part of the lawsuit is something we haven't got to yet. The tanking portion of the lawsuit. Now, he is saying that he was wrongfully terminated because of, quote unquote, poor collaboration. But in reality, what that poor collaboration was is that Stephen Ross, and the who is the owner of the Miami Dolphins, and Chris Greer, who is the general manager, wanted him to tank to get them a better draft pick. He is alleging that they offered him $100,000 
for every game that he lost his first season in Miami. He even said that Chris Greer came to him and told him that Stephen Ross was mad that he was winning games at the end of that season after turning that team around. And he says that then after they fired him because of that, they then spread malicious rumors about him being hard to work with, being hard to collaborate with, and basically defaming him to justify their really hard to justify decision. Like if you see any of the media coverage on Brian Flores being fired, it is a lot of uh, what the hell were they doing and why this guy, this guy back-to-back winning seasons guy. I think that's pretty important because people like Hugh Jackson have already came out and said, oh yeah, the Browns did the same thing to me. They wanted to tank. They wanted to get a better draft pick and they were offering me money to tank. And it's important because you got to understand this is a class action lawsuit, which means there's going to be multiple more plaintiffs coming forward with stories like Brian Flores's and stories like Hugh Jackson's. And they're at least saying about 40 people could be implicated as plaintiffs in this class action against the NFL. And that's the number that I got out the document. So it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes from there because the tanking thing is huge. It destroys the integrity of the game. I think it's not a surprise to anybody. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know that it's been going on for quite some time. And teams have been doing it quietly or less quietly. So deactivating guys, trading guys away, putting guys on IR, just a lot of like general manager, ownership, team things that the coach can't necessarily control that they could do to make his job harder, especially if he doesn't want to go along. I think we all remember Mika Fitzpatrick being traded that Dolphin season, right? I remember. All right. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how this develops going forward, because there is no doubt, no shadow of a doubt that a lot of this stuff is true. Even if you don't believe the specific interview that Flores got was a sham, the Giants wouldn't have explained the Broncos one where he says that he shows up and John Elway and another person are clearly hungover and disheveled from the night before, completely disengaged and did not take his interview seriously. Even if you don't believe his specific instances are true, like it's really hard to look at any of the numbers, look at all the stories, look at all the very, very qualified people. And think there there can be no truth to this lawsuit in the abstract. Like, you have to have blinders on. There have only been 17 blackhead coaches who have coached a full season. And four of them were fired after a winning season. That is 23.5%. The contrast number for white coaches is 6.9%. That means blackhead coaches are more likely to be fired even when successful, three and a half times more likely to be fired. And this is important because frequently, if you get, if you don't succeed in that first stop, you don't get the second, third, fourth opportunity that a lot of white coaches get. Doug Peterson just got the uh, Jaguars job after being booted from Philly. Jim Caldwell, after doing wonders with the Lions, considering their recent history, has not gotten another opportunity. Passed over by the Bears, my Chicago Bears, for Matt Eberflus, first time head coach, no prior experience being a head coach, for sure. We don't know why. Brian Forrest would like a lot of that stuff to be in writing, so we could actually know why. I can't understand why you would think that's a bad thing. 
So we see ourselves at like a watershed moment where Brian Flores is trying to effectuate change. He knows this could end his career. He could possibly never coach in the NFL again. And I don't think anybody would be particularly surprised if that happens. But somebody has to do something. Clearly, him being willing to come forward has made other people willing to come forward with him. That's how you get a class action. And I cannot wait to see the stories that start to trickle out and become even bigger and bigger issues as we go forward. This is not going to go away anytime soon. The NFL can try to fight this, and I'm almost positive the NFL would try to fight this, even though they have little to no basis on trying to fight most of this. It's going to be about money for these people. And unless it's about money, it don't make sense to them. And it sucks to say that, but that's kind of a portion of what I had in my conversation with Jonathan Bean, who I told you is the chief director of diversity and inclusion for the NFL. The NFL itself has very little power as like an entity on the individual teams, because really the individual teams are for the most part ran as private organizations that then the NFL kind of governs in such of a way. And because of that, Brian Flores using the law as his mechanism and tactic to create those changes within the governing body, to create those changes within those private contractors. What does a person do when their individual employer discriminates against them? Legal repercussions. Because absent that, you ain't really got much else. You just don't. And we will continue to see this type of discrimination be rife in the NFL. And unfortunate as it may be, I don't think any of us should be surprised. So that's why this week's Ballers Bouquet also goes out to Brian Flores for having the courage to do the right thing, stand up for change, and put his career and his livelihood on the line for the coaches that are his peers and the coaches that will come after him. This might be the biggest moment in history for the NFL ever. And I don't say that lightly. Look, that's what I got for y'all today. Cannot wait to get back to our usual type of show coming up next week, giving you the preview of the Super Bowl matchup and what I think is going to go down, as well as getting into some of our rankings for the end of the season. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode 69 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, I appreciate each and every single one of y'all for rocking with me, holding it down, whether you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, wherever it is, even if you're just catching clips online, share with a friend. That's really how we grow. And I cannot wait to give you all episode 70, the big 7-0 next week. The Fly Route Pod. 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 The Fly Route Pod.